Hello, I'm Lieutenant Governor Mike Foley of Nebraska, here today to launch a series of new podcasts on a wide variety of topics, ranging from politics and business, culture, and the law. In my work, I have the pleasure of traveling all across the great state of Nebraska, meeting some of the most remarkable people in the world. I spend a lot of windshield time crisscrossing the state, and as I do so, I listen to some of my favorite podcasts. So I thought I'd take a shot at actually producing a podcast, and a good friend, Wayne Ringer, has a beautiful, fancy new studio, and he's allowed me to use it for that purpose. I hope to produce a podcast, oh, I don't know, every three or four weeks or so. And if you find this podcast of interest, please hit the subscribe button and join us as these new episodes are produced. There are so many hot-button issues, for sure, which we could talk about and discuss. But those issues all receive a lot of attention and interest. But what I want to do is try to explore some of these issues in greater detail with greater in-depth discussion. So let's dive right in. On March 4th, just a few days ago, the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments on a case directly relating to the issue of abortion. Whenever the U.S. Supreme Court addresses that complicated and contentious issue, the political world stands up and takes notice because abortion is, without question, the most contentious issue of our times. No issue has so divided and polarized America as the whole matter of the protection or lack of protection of the lives of unborn children. Just four years ago, the Supreme Court decided a case emanating from Texas as to whether or not that state could impose a requirement on those performing abortions, and the requirement was that they would have to have admitting privileges at a local hospital. And the court decided that that such a requirement was illegal because it created an undue burden and restriction on the practice of abortion. Now, in just a matter of a very few years, the court has taken up another case, this time from Louisiana, with essentially the same question. The case is June Medical Services versus G. Well, who are these parties to this lawsuit and what are their claims? June Medical Services is an abortion clinic and they're suing Dr. Rebecca G, who was at the time the secretary for the Department of Health for the state of Louisiana. Dr. G had published regulations very similar to Texas requiring abortion providers to have admitting privileges at a local hospital. She published those regulations because the state of Louisiana's legislature enacted a new law creating that requirement. Interestingly, the Louisiana legislator who wrote that law, State Senator Katrina Jackson, is an African-American woman who happens to be a member of the Democratic Party. Louisiana is the number one pro-life state in the nation. And mainly because in Louisiana, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, black or white, we fight for life. Louisiana is perhaps one of the most pro-life states in the union, and many members of both major political parties hold pro-life positions. In any event, the Louisiana law and regulations were tested in federal court. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, just one level below the U.S. Supreme Court, ruled that the Louisiana regulations were perfectly legal. So now, Jew Medical Services, the abortion clinic, is having its appeal heard by the Supreme Court. The case is actually a bit more complicated because there's also a second important legal question at stake, and that is whether or not the abortion clinic has the proper legal standing or the right to bring forward this case in the first instance. 
So who knows where this is all going to lead? Some are hoping that the court will simply use this case to strike down Roe versus Wade and reverse it completely. That seems like a quite a stretch, but at least in theory, I suppose it is a possibility. We'll ask our guests about all that. Others suspect the court will strike down the Louisiana regulations altogether and leave the abortion issue right where it is today and right where it's been for so many years. We're going to dive much deeper into all this now with a friend of mine, Michael McHale, who's a brilliant young attorney with deep insights into such matters. Michael has an impressive resume and work history. Let me tell you a little, little bit about Michael. He earned his law degree from the University of Nebraska and ranked in the top 10 among his third-year law school classmates of 127 members. After law school, he worked as a legislative assistant to a friend of mine, State Senator John Nelson of the Nebraska Legislature. And he later joined the office of the Nebraska Attorney General and handled a wide variety of very complex legal questions. From there, he accepted the position as general counsel for the Nebraska Catholic Conference. Then he moved up the professional ladder in a very big way by becoming a term law clerk for Judge Steve Graz, who's now seated on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit. Public service in the legal profession at this very high level is quite extraordinary, particularly for such a young man, and often leads to lucrative job offers from corporate America or prestigious law firms. But Michael decided to take a different path by becoming legal counsel for a group called the Thomas More Society. We'll explore what that is all about in just a moment. So, Michael McHale, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. We're grateful for your time and uh, just welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. It's good all to right. see you again. And Same here. Good to, here. Good to see you. Yeah. Let's, let's jump right in and talk a little bit about this Thomas More Society. What's that all about? I know you work for them now. What, what do they do? Yep. We're a national public interest law firm, and we litigate cases around the country on behalf of life, family, and religious freedom. So we are particularly involved in the pro-life movement, representing people like sidewalk counselors outside abortion facilities, uh, 40 Days for Life, and we have a 40 Days campaign going on uh, right now. We're defending David Daleiden out in California. Oh, yeah. He was the young undercover journalist a few years ago who right. exposed the Planned Parenthood fetal body part profiting scheme yes. they were engaged in. So he's got two federal civil suits against him and one uh, criminal proceeding against him. So we're heavily involved in that and working on religious freedom issues as well. And there's always you know too much to do, but it's great you work. Guys, you guys are on the front lines of some of the most hot uh, button issues. It's interesting. Yeah, it's can't, amazing. Can't deny that. Well, let's get back to this June medical services case. Were you surprised that the Supreme Court would take up that case so quickly after having heard the Texas case, what, just four years ago? A little bit. I, I think it's good to know a bit of context for how the geomedical case got to the Supreme Court. And as you said, just a few years ago, in 2016, the Supreme Court uh, struck down the admitting privileges requirement in Texas. The Louisiana law had been circulating up, up and down the courts in the meantime. And after the Supreme Court decision in Hellerstedt, the Fifth Circuit heard the Louisiana law and upheld it and said the factual circumstances were different okay. in a way that allowed the Louisiana law to pass muster under current Supreme Court precedent. Well, June Medical then issued or appealed for an emergency stay from the U.S. Supreme Court. And this was last February, February 2019. And the Supreme Court granted June Medical's stay, which halted the Fifth Circuit's decision. Uh -huh. 
And okay. in that stay, we saw that four uh, four of the justices dissented, and it was uh, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Thomas, and Alito. So it was clear that Roberts was the key swing vote, and he he essentially was why the Fifth Circuit decision didn't go into effect. And at that point, I was pretty certain that the Supreme Court would grant uh, the petition for writ of certiorari and hear Geomedical's appeal. I was a little bit disappointed, frankly, because it only takes four votes for Supreme Court justices to grant cert, so you know, so to speak, to, to hear, hear the case. The case. Yeah. But usually four justices aren't going to grant cert unless they're pretty confident they get a fifth justice, especially yeah. on this issue, yeah. where there's always a chance the Supreme Court could do something big sure. on uh, the issue of abortion. Absolutely. So as of last February, I thought, all right, this is probably going to happen. However, I was a little bit surprised, pleasantly, that Louisiana successfully appealed on the issue of third-party standing, whether abortion facilities can litigate, as you mentioned, on behalf of women. Let's let's put a broader context on this because the Supreme Court composition of its members has changed a bit since the right. uh, the case of four years ago. Right. Yeah. Four years ago, it was a, a five three decision. Justice Scalia had passed away earlier that year, and since then, of course, President Trump has been elected, and he replaced Scalia with Justice Gorsuch. So that was really kind of a a one-to-one, Gorsuch is similar to Scalia in many ways, so it didn't really yeah. flip the court in any sense. Right. But then President Trump had an opportunity once Justice Kennedy stepped down to put Justice Kavanaugh on the court. And of course, we all remember the Oh my goodness, the, 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 those hearings were just incredible. Yeah, exactly. The screaming and the hollering and people getting hauled out of the right. hearing room and so forth. And it was most, wild. Right. And the most evident reason is that, for all intents and purposes, looks like it might have flipped the core, at least to a certain extent, on the issue of abortion. Because Kennedy, for the most part, had always voted to uphold the so-called fundamental right to abortion. Right. And yeah. Justice Kavanaugh seems to have given indications in his previous jurisprudence that he would not necessarily agree there's a fundamental right, right to abortion right. in the Constitution. Right. So there's a chance that there was a flip, flip at that point. But, you know, a lot remains to be seen. Yeah, for sure. Well, as, as we've discussed, there's a couple of key issues here. The first of this is this whole question of legal standing, which means does the June Medical Services abortion clinic even have the right to bring this case forward? So let's explore that a bit. Right. So when you're litigating, you, you have to show you have standing. In other words, that there's some injury in fact done to you yeah. from the law. And you need to have standing as to each claim you raise. Well, here the key claim, as is the case in every, you know, big abortion issue we've seen over the years. The claim is that this June medical, this state law in Louisiana violates a woman's fundamental right to abortion, but it's being raised by the abortion facilities, but that's not a right belonging to them. Right. So there's no injury in fact to themselves. So there's no traditional standing in that sense, but they litigate under the guise of third party standing and they do so on behalf of, they assert the fundamental so-called right to abortion on behalf of women. And the Supreme Court has recognized that, at least allowed it in a number of instances over the year, over the years. But Louisiana is really pressing the Supreme Court to say, hey, that's not necessarily appropriate in abortion cases. They're really saying the court hasn't necessarily closely analyzed third-party standing in abortion mm-hmm. cases. And they're also saying in a situation like this, where the state law is intended to benefit women, there's really a conflict of interest between the abortion facilities and the women who the law seeks to protect. The 
abortion facilities as a business have an interest in less red tape, more efficient operations, but women have an interest in you know, more safe procedures and just sure, overall greater health. Sure. So there's a real conflict there. Yeah, I see that. So and that's the, so, what's going so on. So June, June Medical Services Abortion Clinic is really claiming that they represent the women who want to have an abortion. Exactly. And they're not claiming that they're trying to protect women's health. Exactly. With, with these admitting privileges requirements. Over the years, the Supreme Court has recognized just conceptually third-party standing. Mm-hmm. They typically require that the plaintiff have a close relationship with the person they're representing and that there be some formidable hindrance to the, in this case, women from bringing claims on their own behalf. And Justice Thomas wrote eloquently about this in his dissent in the Hellerstedt, Texas case a few years ago. He said, those two factors don't exist in the abortion context typically. Just Mm -hmm. in general, they don't exist. But in particular, when the law is seeking to benefit women, there's no close relationship between abortionists who want less regulation and women who want and need safe healthcare procedures. Yeah. And there's no <clears throat> hindrance we've seen over the years. I mean, Roe v. Wade and then Doe v. Bolton, the companion case, were litigated on behalf of women themselves. So in the abortion context, there's not necessarily a hindrance. And Thomas, in his dissent, pointed out the Supreme Court has just said as a general rule, uh, when it comes to abortion, abortion facilities, it's generally appropriate for them to represent women without actually analyzing yeah. third-party standards. Yeah. Yeah. Which is typical. Well, I suppose one possibility then would be that the Supreme Court could dismiss the case, claiming that Jew Medical Service simply lacks standing to bring the case forward. It's it's definitely possible. In that situation, they would have to dismiss. The law would go into effect. The stay order that I mentioned in February 2019 said that yeah. this will go away upon our order. So uh-huh. if they order that there's no standing the law would go into effect. Of course, a woman could still bring a claim on her own behalf. But as Justice Thomas pointed out in his dissent, in that situation, we'd have a much better record in all likelihood of the actual impact of this type of law. When abortion facilities are allowed to bring claims on behalf of women, it encourages litigation. They don't have near as much of a personal stake in the matter. And we don't get a good record for how these laws actually apply, which is really important for lower courts because they're tasked with applying Supreme Court case law And currently that means discerning whether there's an undue burden on a woman's right to get an abortion before viability. And then after viability, a state can impose restrictions unless it affects life or health, which is unfortunately overly broad. But regardless, courts need to discern whether there's an undue burden. And that depends on the record, the impact of the law. So we'll see. Of course, the other key question in this case is the whole question of can a state require the abortion industry to have admitting privileges at a local hospital. That's kind of the core of the case. Right. And they've already said four years ago, you can't do that. And now they're saying, let's look at this question again, which right. is pretty fascinating that they would look at it in such a short period of time. Of course, you've talked about the change, the composition of the court, right. which could make a world of difference. And one concern was that they were, and it's probably still an ongoing concern, that, that the Supreme Court is inclined to rebuke the Fifth Circuit which made a decision after Hellerstedt, yes. you know, upholding this right. pretty similar law in right. Louisiana. Right. And so the Supreme Court was saying, well, you can't do that. But on the, on the other hand, the Fifth Circuit's decision is very thorough, and it explained that, hey, Hellerstedt was a fact-based analysis, and it said, look at the facts. How does this actually impact people on the ground yeah. based on the record we have? Yeah. And in Louisiana, the facts were different, according to the Fifth Circuit. Yeah. And we can talk more about that, but the... The reality is it would be much easier, based on the record, 
that, you know, in front of the court for abortionists to get admitting privileges in Louisiana than it was in Texas. Let me try to pin you down here, Michael. You've okay. studied this case. You've yeah. been observant of the court over the years. What are the possible outcomes of this case from the best to the worst? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> the worst is probably, I go to worst immediately. Probably a, a 5-4 or 6-3 decision reversing the Fifth Circuit and thus uh, striking down. Just strike down the Fifth Circuit altogether yeah, and then it takes us right back to where we were with the Texas case. Exactly. And that would be Justice Roberts probably as the swing vote. Yeah. And uh, and if it's six, I don't know, Justice Gorsuch was eerily silent the other day during oral arguments. Although, uh, yeah. although I, I think he'll be okay. So that would be the worst, reversing and striking down the law. The best would be probably, based on the oral argument, five to four. Probably can can get no more than five votes. Yeah. You know? unless there's you know, something yeah. shocking that happens, affirming the Fifth Circuit and upholding the pro-life law and, and also clarifying the Hellerstedt standard. And the Hellerstedt, you know, Texas case, really set bad precedent for what constitutes an undue burden. In that mm-hmm. case, the Supreme Court said that even if there are minimal burden, minimal burdens, we also look to the benefits the law advances. And if we think there are only minimal benefits, we can say, well, there's an undue burden by scrutinizing the benefits. So that's important because it might be that the record doesn't indicate any real burden to access to abortion. And again, this is important for lower courts and upholding pro-life laws because they have to follow the Supreme Court precedent. They're also tasked now with looking at the benefits those laws advance. And basically, we're in a situation where it seems like a court could conclude, well, this doesn't burden anyone, but it also doesn't have the benefits the Supreme Court requires. So it's an undue burden. No burdens, but it's an undue burden. I see. Hellerstedt is, you know, an atrocious decision. So the best outcome would be 5-4 affirming the Fifth Circuit decision and upholding the Louisiana law and also clarifying the Hellerstedt standard. So the undue burden standard actually looks at burdens and isn't scrutinizing legislative policy judgments. So if they upheld the Louisiana law and said, yeah, you can do this, it would apply not only to Louisiana, but to every other state then. Well, it depends. It it depends on how they work that standard. So if they leave the Hellerstedt standard in place, then it should be a state-by-state analysis still. You have to look at the number of abortion facilities in the state or, you know, nearby the borders of that state and how easy it is for abortionists to get admitting privileges. If they clarify the standard... I think uh, you will see at least some, you, you might see the development of some type of norm. You mentioned a moment ago that Judge Gorsuch was eerily silent. <laughs> so he didn't play his cards. But the other justices, for the most part, did speak up with some questions. What can we discern from the nature of the questions that they were asking? Did they play their cards at all as to where they might rule on this thing? It's always hard to tell, yeah. but I think they did some. Usually the questions they ask indicate how they're thinking about the case, Yeah. so you get some insight. The big one's Justice Roberts, because he's really the reason this case is even here. Sure. Uh, staying it, so all eyes were on him. He asked uh, pointed questions of both sides. He really pressed June Medical's attorney on whether the burdens that this law imposed could in fact be different than the burdens the Texas law supposedly imposed based mm-hmm. on the record in Hellerstedt. And his point was, isn't this a state-by-state analysis? You can't say, well, this is, a, this is the same law that Texas had, so it necessarily follows. 
that Louisiana is out of line by doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And Robert's point is, no, for the burdens, don't you need to look at the actual impact based on how easy it is to get admitting privileges and, and such. But he also asked questions of uh, Louisiana and also the United States Solicitor General participated on behalf of Louisiana, you know, in favor of life. And he asked both, both of those attorneys, aren't the benefits of an admitting privileges law the same in any state? Wouldn't they be the same in Texas and in Louisiana? And that, that was a concerning question. He really pressed the Solicitor General, Deputy Solicitor General, on that. He said, it's got to be the same, essentially, right? Well, that's important because the Fifth Circuit found, hey, under Hellerstedt, we have to do this benefits-burden analysis. So we have to look at whether admitting privileges has any benefits. And they said, while in Texas, the record indicated admitting privileges were granted based on the number of admissions and not so much a doctor or an abortionist competency, in Louisiana, admitting privileges based on hospital bylaws are typically granted more based on competency competency, and not number of admissions. And Louisiana attorney pointed out hospitals in Louisiana often offer courtesy privileges, which okay. really don't require that many admissions. So they do look at competency. So the Fifth Circuit said, hey, the benefit is different in Louisiana to this type of law. It really does, and this goes to what purpose do admitting privileges serve? And one key purpose is an extra layer of credentialing to make sure these abortionists are actually competent in OBGYN-type services. Mm-hmm. Well, the Fifth Circuit said that is a real benefit served in Louisiana because hospitals do look at competency in one scope of practice, and that's different than Texas, just based on circumstances. So Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts' questions to the Louisiana and Solicitor General attorneys was a bit of a concern because he seems to be disagreeing with the Fifth Circuit. On that point. Now, that might not make or break the case. Again, Hellerstedt, the standard they're applying is so odd. Yeah. It might be okay, but that's a, I thought, a concerning question. Justice Kavanaugh indicated that he also thinks you look to each state and its circumstances in determining whether there's an undue burden, which is important. And Justice Alito really pressed on third party standing, and he had some interesting reactions, but he, he tried to get the uh, June medical attorney to acknowledge if there's a direct conflict of interest between the plaintiff and the person they're representing, there can't be third party standing then, can there? Yeah, right. We've never had <clears> that. <throat> and she said, no, there can be. There can be. And he reacted by saying, that's amazing. And he's kind of <laughs> boisterous. Yeah. So there was a lot going on in that argument. Another key exchange in the argument was when Justice Kavanaugh pressed June medical's attorney and said, if... In theory, every abortionist could easily get admitting privileges, and there was no burden on any women. Would the law still be unconstitutional? In other words, would it still be an undue burden? And she said, yes, because we have to look at the benefits. It doesn't serve any benefits, So, and she didn't articulate it this way, but even though there are no burdens, it's still an undue burden. That's the Mm. absurdity we're stuck with, and Kavanaugh really drew that out. So the Solicitor General, I thought, had a really poignant moment in the argument. He got up, and his first point was, you know, it's interesting, G-Medical began their argument by saying this case is about respect for this court's precedent. Louisiana seems to be thumbing its nose at the Supreme Court and all that. Well, he said, he noted, 
there's no support in this court's precedent for the idea that there's third party standing when there's a direct conflict of interest between the plaintiff and the person they're representing. And also there's no support for the idea that there's an undue burden on a woman's right, so-called right to get an abortion when there are no burdens that the law actually imposes. Both of those points were admitted by the Jew medical attorney. So it was a very interesting argument. I came out a little bit troubled at Justice Chief Justice Roberts' questions, but uh, he is noting that there could be a difference in the burdens in Louisiana as compared to Texas. And yeah, he, sure. He might vote to uphold the law. Yeah. You know, one person who was not silent during the oral arguments was United States Senator Chuck Schumer, <laughs> who was out on the steps of the court during the oral arguments right. with a microphone and a group of protesters, and he was actually making threats by name to some of the justices on the court, Kavanaugh and uh, Gorsuch, right. directly. I've never seen anything like that before in my life. That was just amazing. Yeah, I was pretty shocked. I don't know that, you know, if that's ever happened before. I assume not. But then Chief Justice Roberts, of course, issued a statement later right. in the day rebuking. Right, uh, rebuking him for Senator, doing that. Yeah, yeah and, then, and some of his colleagues in the Senate are now calling for his uh, censure right. for having done that. I mean, it's definitely inappropriate to, in general, to put political pressure on justices. And we've seen that before in the previous administration. But in this case, to you know, really make threats, uh, yeah. violent threats against them is out of line. But it shows, I think, what's at stake and why these Supreme Court nominations are so contentious and important. They are. Uh, this yeah. issue of abortion just brings out you know, passion. It's well, a, the abortion advocates certainly realize there's a lot, of, lot, lot on the line here, that this thing could really go bad for them. So do you think there's any possibility at all that the Supreme Court could actually step in using this case? To strike down Roe v. Wade? So in all likelihood, probably not, just given how similar the issues are as compared to the Texas case a few years ago. But I think it is important to note that in theory, any abortion law that gets to the Supreme Court presents an opportunity to reverse Roe. Yeah. Whether it's an abortion ban or a regulation like this. Yeah. And of course, the Planned Planned Parenthood versus Casey case back in 1992, nearly overturned Roe. The dissent, four dissenters, would have overturned Roe. And that case dealt with regulations of abortion and not a ban on abortion. Yeah. So it's somewhat similar here. Yeah. It's a regulation. And we know that Justice Thomas has spoken up in some of his uh, dissenting opinions. Right. Numerous, they need to just strike it down exactly. altogether, get rid of it. Numerous times. And Justice Scalia had as well. It's pretty clear Justice Alito would feel the same way. And, we'll and, to, and as you talked about earlier, the with the Trump appointees, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, right. who really haven't been tested on this yet. Right. So we don't know really where they stand on this question for sure. And that's what, you know, one so big... It's kind of a wild card. Exactly. And certainly one big thing that's going to come out of this case is getting more clarity on where justices Kavanaugh and Gorsuch stand on abortion, yeah. regardless of what happens. And right. that'll be good for, for sure. state legislators on sure. you know, evaluating what laws yeah. might make the best sense in upcoming sessions. Yeah. Now, now you you can you Express some concerns about Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts. Uh, he's a, he was a Bush appointee, if I right. remember correctly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. And, you know, he dissented in Hellerstedt. I think that's maybe important to remember. He voted yeah. with Justice Thomas and Alito, and he right. would have upheld the Texas law. In this case, it looks like Chief Justice Roberts is inclined to apply the standard from Hellerstedt that, that he yeah. disagreed with, but yeah. the matter of a rule of law. And it's a workable, flexible standard, so... It doesn't necessarily mean 
he can't vote to uphold the law, but yeah. it'd be better, I think, if they just got rid of yeah. the justices. So, so just, just to recap here, four years ago, they struck down the Texas requirement for right. admitting privileges. It was a 5-3 decision. Right. We had a vacancy because Justice Scalia had just passed away yep. and they hadn't yet filled that vacancy. So 5-3 against the pro-life position, yep. essentially. Now we've got two more justices added, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Yeah. So if Justice Roberts stays where he was exactly. in the previous case, exactly. we, in theory, could have five votes yes. to flip over the Hellestat decision of four years ago and uphold the Louisiana statute. Yep, that's right. And I think it's a good sign that he's, he, he's recognizing or he acknowledges that in, in considering whether there's a relevant burden, you have to look at each state and... And their facts, their factual circumstances behind the law. All right. So four years ago, the court struck down the Texas statute. And now along comes Louisiana with a similar statute, but there must be some difference there somewhere that would uh, prompt the Fifth Circuit to uphold the Louisiana statute when the Texas statute was just struck down by the Supreme Court. Yep. And the Fifth Circuit was focused on the the factual circumstances of Louisiana as compared to Texas. I see. So, so the admitting privileges isn't, isn't as much a burden in that state as it was, it might have been, in Texas. Right. The, the Fifth Circuit recognized that the requirements that hospitals have in Louisiana for getting admitting privileges are not as onerous or they don't have the same type of, of obstacle. Also, the benefit of an admitting privileges law, which courts are supposed to look at now, and Louisiana, in Louisiana, the Fifth Circuit recognized there is a real benefit to an admitting privileges law in that it adds a real second layer of credentialing. When they're focused on competency and not number of admissions, then you really are ensuring there's an extra layer ensuring abortion providers are more competent, so to speak, in OBGYN services. And yeah. it was a good example, and this came out in the Supreme Court, but a good example of you know, how real this is in Louisiana is that one of the abortionists in Louisiana at one point in time hired an ophthalmologist and a radiologist to do abortions. Wow. Now they were licensed appropriately by the state. They were licensed medical providers and thus they were authorized to perform medical services like this. Wow. There was no extra layer of credentialing ensuring they're actually competent in, you know, this type of service and an OBGYN service. And this came out in oral argument. Justice Sotomayor said, what, what benefit could there be to the Louisiana attorney? And she noted, they're hiring radiologists to do abortions. Of course, there's a benefit. Merely having a state license, you know, is not necessarily sufficient. So Louisiana recognized that's different than in Texas. In Texas, they weren't focused so much on competency, so maybe there wasn't as much of a benefit. But here, there definitely is. What this all shows is uh, how critically important it will be when that next Supreme Court vacancy occurs. We know that Justice Ginsburg, uh, we don't know that she'll be the next court member to leave, but right. she is elderly and she's had some health issues. So at some point, obviously, she's going to need to retire, and that will create the vacancy. And whoever happens to occupy the White House at that time will fill that vacancy. Yeah, and I think it's going to take more than five votes to overturn Roe. I think so. Just like there were more than five votes in that case establishing the so-called yeah. right to abortion. Right. And so even if Roberts would be inclined maybe in a different type of case to reverse Roe, I think, you know, just based on his approach to this court's legitimacy and the, the image it portrays to the public, I think he's going to want more of a consensus on the court. But the next 
Supreme Court vacancy will certainly make a lot of difference either way. And of course, our elections are critical. And well, they are. They're coming up later this year. So this will be foremost on the minds of many, many voters on both sides of the question. Yeah. Uh, so the next president, uh, whether the Trump or whoever, is going to make that next appointment on that court. So right. critically, right. critically important to this issue. Well, We'll put all this in prayer to St. Thomas More, and we thank you, Michael, for being here today. It's been uh, very enlightening. So thanks for yeah. your time today. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. I appreciate um, it. You bet. All right. This, this was our first venture as a new podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it and found it illuminating on a complicated question before the law. We'll have other podcasts next three or four weeks or so, and I hope you, if you like this one, please hit that subscribe button, and it'll automatically sign you up for future editions of our podcast. So thanks very much for tuning in.